I want to start with a question or two. Have you ever been caught with um, b- between your ideals and people that stand to benefit from those ideals, but but do not share them? Um, so so here's an example. All of us are familiar with this phrase. This is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. And I'm, of course, referring to parent disciplining a child. Um, teachers assigning a, a big, complex, um, ridiculously um, absurd amount of work for their students. Here's another example. Mr. Miyagi making Daniel paint the fence and wax the cars, right? He's like, I don't get this. Why are you making me do this? And uh, if you know the movie, you know the results. Um, but all of these are, are examples of this misaligned interests that we can have between people with a responsibility and, and a lot of times, though the responsibility to serve other people around them in some form or fashion, whether it be a parent or a teacher, um, a sage, whatever. So, in a more personal example, um, I was when I was doing uh, when I was a, a student uh, in, a, in a PhD program. I was in. Uh, I had a, another guy that was uh, in my cohort. And he struggled with an addiction, uh, a, a pretty serious one, a, an addiction to pornography. And he um, got myself and another guy to help him in terms of accountability. And, you know, we got registered for the uh, program, you know, to that kind of um, assesses his, his computer and detects if he goes to uh, places to access pornography and there were weeks where he would do uh, really well and then there were weeks where it was just a total disaster Um, and so it it became a pretty serious problem and so when I say addiction like that's really what it it was like he um, would have would have a week where it was like three or four times a week uh, you know we are getting these flagged emails and so this other guy and myself, we met with him for about a year, um, every couple weeks, just talking, praying, trying to uh, love, impart wisdom, impart knowledge. Uh, but it, uh, there came a point where it was just out of control, and it was impacting his, his marriage in a pretty serious way. It was also impacting his ability to be a, a parent in a pretty serious way, and so the other accountability guy and myself, we we determined that we we had to do something um, to to help him because what we were doing just wasn't helping, and it was kind of beyond us. So we sought the the, the services of a counselor, but also working with this counselor, we determined he's just not he's really not in a good place. He should not be in this program. Um, this PhD program. He's, he's studying, ultimately, uh, he wanted to do uh, pastoral ministry, but he, he was studying a program in, in Old Testament studies. And like I said, it was causing all sorts of problems in his life. 
And to make it even more complex, he was a member of the church where I was, and I was an elder there. So it was just really a mess. And so I had to be, be the one basically to say, you, ha- you have to go and, and tell the, the director of the Ph.D. program at the seminary we were that this is what's happening. And uh, if, if you don't, I, I, I have to. I just I can't sit and watch this. Um, because it's destroying everything around you, and we're doing all we can, but it's it's just not working. You're not in a place to be in this program right now. Maybe later, but not right now. His wife was furious with me because I was interfering with their life, um, and it was it was really I I resented it. I resented having to be in this position of intervening, of of stepping in, of um, I, I resisted. I did not want to do this, uh, but I felt I, it came. It was my responsibility. I, I felt I, I, I had to do something, and it was uh, something that I just really resented. He, so he ended up dropping out of the program. Uh, he and his uh, wife, they um, and two children, they eventually they they left where we lived and they they moved back to uh, Illinois. I think his wife, maybe in the in the end, after a period of time, came to feel like not hateful towards me, but I, I'm I'm not really sure. I and this other guy that were the accountability partners, we showed up to. We were the only two that helped them move. So I I think that was um, just a, a kind of meeting of the minds between his his wife and I and. Uh, as I said, I, I, the word that comes to mind is resentment. I resented being in this situation. And so when I'm talking about, have you ever been stuck between somebody that you felt a responsibility to and the ideals of, 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 of carrying out that responsibility for them? Um, that, that's the sort of example I'm talking about. And I say all that as a means to introduce the passage today. It's uh, in, in Exodus chapter 5, and we don't have time to read the whole thing, but um, this, this is my, my idea of what a, at least one of the main ideas of this passage is. That is that, that human hardship and isolation sometimes accompany God's rescue mission. Human hardship and isolation sometimes accompany God's rescue mission, and we see this in the life of Moses, is um, what I think you'll you'll come to to see. Let me let me uh, just take a moment to pray before we we go on. Lord, uh, we are here. We are your people. We desire to hear from your revelation. Uh, we want to be people that are serious about the things you are serious about. We want to be impressed with the way that you have worked. In history, that you have uh, inspired people to write down um, a, a a record of what that is, in a, in a way that portrays you as the center of all that is good and right, and that sometimes means that people struggle. And so, help us to see uh, your your bigness, uh, your care for those who you have called to suffer and help us to 
appreciate and value the way in which you carry us. Amen. So in this chapter, you have, uh, again, this, this something that Joel alluded to there. We've been hearing, right, that God's people are suffering. God calls Moses and says, you are going to be the one, you and Aaron, to lead these people out. And it's not going to be easy. Moses kind of resists to begin with and says, nope, I, I don't really want to. Why would I do that? And God says, no, you are the one to do that, and this is how it's going to be. So um, if you've been here for the past several weeks, maybe some of that is coming to mind. The time has come now for Moses and Aaron to go into uh, before Pharaoh and stand there and make the declaration uh, that uh, you have to let the Hebrews go uh, out into the wilderness. And so... Uh, they they come before him, and this this declaration is is from the Lord. From uh, and it says, "Let my my people go." And if you know the story, uh, you know that in general Pharaoh resists that. But in particular, what Joel was alluding to is that he says, "Who is you know the Lord?" Is what it says. Who is this this God named Yahweh that we are that you're talking of. There, there's a couple possibilities. Either he's saying I, I I've never heard of him, so why why should I care? Um, and if you think about that, I I think that's probably the case. Uh, he hasn't been introduced on any major scale up to this point through the like narrative history of of Israel. And in fact, I think that's one of the big points that comes out is that God will introduce himself to the stage of the world. And this is how he's going to do it through Egypt. But Pharaoh could also just be saying, I don't respect that God. So, no, I'm not going to listen. I will not let the people go. But he says, I, I don't I don't know Yahweh in, in whichever sense. I don't know him and I'm not letting them go. So you have this ratcheting up of the drama. Um, if you're a good reader, you're going to like be picking this up. Like, oh, this is setting the scene. Like, there's going to be a, a, a showdown. And you have two opposing forces. And they're going to, you know, kind of du- duke it out. I, I thought of how, um, if you've ever watched Rocky, or if you are a heavyweight boxing fan which is not really a big thing anymore it was when i was younger a couple days before the fight or the night before the fight they weigh in right and then they have the press conference and there's usually a lot of drama someone usually flips a table over and they're like at each other's face do you you know what i'm talking about anybody the heavyweight boxing weigh-in press conference yeah it's ratcheting up the drama thank you sean um so this, this, this drama is going to unfold, this big fight, if you will, between the, all of the like, gods of Egypt and the god of the Hebrews that Pharaoh has just said, he's a nobody, I could care less about him. So it's, it's really a dramatic um, sort of situation that is developing, it, developing here. And that's it's one of the major themes of the whole entire book of Exodus is, is seeing 
and knowing Yahweh. And that's what Pharaoh has just talked about. I don't know him. By, by you know, soon enough, Pharaoh will have a very good understanding of, of something very significant about who the Lord is. As basically Egypt is utterly decimated and destroyed. He comes to see, if nothing else, that Yahweh God, is, is, he's very powerful. Um, he's very powerful. He's more powerful than I am. So Egypt and much of the world will come to know Yahweh this way, but also Israel and the, he, the, the Hebrews, Israel, they, they would know him also, but in a slightly different way as the, the one who saved them, the one who rescued them, the one who saw them and saw their sufferings, saw their miseries and did something about it and formed this people through the father Abraham to carry out this great redemptive plan in the world. And they were going to come to know him in all of those ways and more. So that's the, that's the scenery of what's going on here. But another big point is that Moses, um, as my introduction alluded and made reference to, becomes despised by these people that he comes to lead. So after they go in and they tell Pharaoh, let, the Lord says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no, I don't know him. And then he says, and because you have so much time on your hands, now I'm going to ask that you have to make the same amount of materials to build all that I'm having, having you build as slaves. But I'm no longer going to have the straw supplied to help you to make those bricks. You're going to have to go get the straw and make the bricks and you're going to have to keep the same quotient of brick making going on. So the point is, this was just an overwhelming, ridiculous requirement. Um, so you have to go make the bricks, and you have to gather the straw. So what happens is that uh, the Israelite foremen, they're just like, this is impossible. We cannot do this. And they began to despise Moses for having interfered and made their lives more difficult. It says in uh, 521 that they, they come out and they, they confront Moses and Aaron. And they say this, you have made us reek to Pharaoh. We were like fine before. We were, it was, it was terrible but at least we didn't have to go like gather our own straw. Now he hates us. And you've made it worse. Like, who are you? Like, leave us alone. Our lives were not great, but they weren't as bad as they are now that you showed up. You've made us reek to Pharaoh. You've given him a sword for him to kill us. So he uses very strong language. The idea being, we hate you. Um, why are you here? You're making it worse for us. And that, that's a little bit how I, I felt about my, my friend's wife. I, I, I think she, not to the same degree, I think she felt that towards me. It, it was uncomfortable. Um, so, qu- question. When you had this, um, I don't know how much time I have, so I'm just going to go now. So, everyone, yeah, it's his fault. 
When you did something you felt like you had to do, you were in a position to do something that was along the lines of what I introduced, what was your inner response? Like, if, if you were in, like, the position of Moses, and I'm just walking in the field one day, a bush comes on fire, and I have to do this, I go do it, and now everyone hates me. Uh, what was your, like, response? If, if you could just think of a situation. Um, this hurts. It's not comfortable. Is this even working? Is it doing anything? Okay, just making sure. Because I would take it off if not. What was your response? Like, just not, I'm not asking for anyone to respond. I'm just giving you a chance to think about it. What was, was your response maybe like you, you felt a sense of empowerment? Like, I rose to the occasion. I did what I had to do. Maybe it was satisfaction. It was like, oh, I'm, I'm really, a, I'm really a nice person who cares about people, and I, I did something really good. Or were you conflicted? Were you like, oh, I had to do that. I, I really didn't want to do that, but I had to. I felt, but maybe I shouldn't have. Maybe that was a mistake. Maybe I stepped in something I didn't need to be in. Moses' response, uh, you've probably gathered where I'm going, is, is one of resentment. He resents that he's in this position. He says, um, and, and not only does he just resent vaguely, uh, he resents God. He, res- he resents that God brought this into his life. In 5.22, he says, why... He's speaking to the Lord. Why? This is after the people came and said, you made us reek to Pharaoh. Why did you cause this, Lord? Why did you send me? Why haven't you done what you said you were going to do? You said you were going to rescue your people, and, and, and you, you, you haven't. Why did you cause this? Why did you send me? Why haven't you rescued your people? I think that describes resentment. And you remember, he's right. Because back in 3.7, it says, you know, God is speaking. He says, I have seen the misery of my people. I have heard their cries. I know their sufferings. Right? And that's the whole thing. Moses, you go and you, you rescue them. He said that's what he's going to do. Moses is right. He said, You're not doing it. My life is worse. The people hate me. They're suffering even more because of all this. I hate this. I don't want to be here. This is a... Uh, so... One way to think about Moses is that he is like a, he begins to establish what becomes the like prophetic role in, 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 in scripture. And this is the lonely station of the prophet. The prophet is oftentimes, he's, he, they're, they're afflicted. He, he's afflicted. 
by this overwhelming burden that God has placed into their life. And I think they resent it sometimes as human beings. Let me read. This is the clearest example to me um, about the type of burden that God brings into the life of certainly the Hebrew prophets. I think later on, the prophet of prophets Jesus and even people today. But this is from the book of Ezekiel. Uh, 24, if, if you want to turn there, but I'm, I'm just going to read it. I won't give you all the backdrop to Ezekiel. I don't think you need to know it, but here's basically the idea. The prophets have to go tell people, this is why uh, you've, this is how you've messed up. This is why things are so bad for you. Here's what God is going to do. Oftentimes, it's going to get worse before it gets better with a little bit of hope dashed in. Later on, God will be faithful and carry us out. But, in the meantime, and God is speaking to Ezekiel and says this, Son of man, I am about to take the delight of your eyes away from you with a fatal blow. Now, what is that delight of his eyes? Just listen. But you must not lament or weep or let your tears flow. Groan quietly. Do not observe mourning rites for the dead. The dead. Who's who's the dead? Put on your turban and strap your sandals on your feet. Do not cover your mustache or eat the bread of mourners. You cannot act like you're in mourning. There's a very specific way that mourners look. You can't look that way. I spoke to the people. This is Ezekiel speaking. I spoke to the people in the morning. And my wife died in the evening. The next morning, I did just as I was commanded. Then the people asked me, Won't you tell us these things that you are doing? What they mean to us? So he's told, Your your wife is going to die. You can't act like your wife just died. You have to act like nothing is wrong. And it's going to be a picture. Your life, your suffering, your misery is going to be a picture of what's going to happen to my people. They're going to suffer. And they're not going to have time to mourn because they're going to be taken captives into another land. So this, this situation in your life is going to be a picture to them. It's going to be a warning to them. It's going to be a preparation for them. And you just reflect on that from from Ezekiel's position as a human being. That's it's a horrible burden to bear. As I said, there is this message of hope. There is this message of redemption that the prophets also bring forth. But the reality is they also suffered. They suffered tragically. Part of the Christian journey is identifying, learning to identify with sufferings. I used to hate when people would say stuff like that. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't like to suffer. I don't know about you. I don't like to be s- subjected to things that are uncomfortable. I am a, very much a creature that seeks comfort at all costs. Um, the Christian journey is, 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 is coming to be 
accepting of the fact that we have to identify with sufferings. And um, as if you watch, uh, you know, the well-known quote by John Madden, the road to Easy Street runs through the sewer, right? The road to Easy Street runs through the sewer. That's just a, it's an axiomatic sort of truth that life is not what it's supposed to be. And sometimes that means that things come into our life that are unfair, unjust, unright. This loneliness, this isolation, Moses is experiencing this, and he's, he's in a small little snippet of a way we get insight. He's sharing this frustration, this feeling of resentment to God. He said, why do I have to do this? What is wrong with you? Why did you bring this to me? Um, but here's, right after he says that, here's uh, the Lord's response. Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of a strong hand, he will let them go. And because of a strong hand, he will drive them from this land. Then he goes on to talk about, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I promised this. And it's going to happen. That maybe that helped Moses feel better. Maybe not. I think I think there's something of a lesson here. That it, first of all, it's it's okay to. I mean, I think I think this church is good at at conveying this generally. It, it's okay to express to God honest experience and feeling and um, situation. But, but it's also good to be, to be redirected. Like that's, that's half of it. And I think that's a healthy human thing to do is to be, to honestly reflect on what we're experiencing. But it's also good to be redirected. And I think that that's what kind of God is saying. Yes, I know, but here's, here's also what you should take account of. And it's it's good to connect struggle, loneliness, isolation. It it is good in time as you go through the process to connect that struggle to God's bigger plans. So uh Moses, you know, I think is hopefully making the connection like I, I'm here, God has a bigger plan. Yes, it's uncomfortable but it's not for nothing. It's not for nothing. So mothers, fathers, teachers, struggles, um, how do we connect them to something that's bigger, right? I'm just getting in a fight with my kid. What, what is that leading towards? How is that a small piece that factors into the bigger picture? I think that is helpful. But here's a few observations and... Um, I have zero time left. Great. A few observations. Moses himself is a perspective of a heavenly reality. How? 
How did this redirection come? Occasionally we get this glimpse behind the shroud. We get this reality of heaven that's unfolding. It's not quite made it to earth, but it's unfolding in heaven. And it's giving shape to this earthly experience. So Israel can see their hardship. They don't understand that God's hand is about to move for them and to save them. So, so Moses is suffering the burden, his hardship. It, it's not pointless. But, but it is going to contrast with, with what's good and powerful that's coming down the way. There's a contrast between the struggle and the redemption. So this is true for Moses. It's true for Ezekiel. It's true for Jesus. Their mission for God had suffering woven into it. That benefit, that blessing, it becomes visible through their suffering. It becomes more stark through their suffering. The mercy of Jesus is made more special because of his suffering. And as Jesus' followers, we, we are called servants. You know, do nothing from selfish ambition. Humility counts others more significant than yourselves. Don't only look to your own interests, but to the interest of others. Servants carry discomfort. It's not comfortable to be a servant. It's hard to be a servant. So we're all called to different types of service. And that's going to get us caught up in suffering, isolation, loneliness, resentment, all these bad, hard, terrible, sometimes tragic things. But despite those circumstances, another observation is that divine presence is ultimately assured. You know, God says this to Pharaoh. He says, now you will see what I will do. I'm I'm here. I'm not silent. Back in 3.12, he said, Moses, certainly I will be with you. I will be with you. I will. I'm not going to. You're not on your own. It may feel like it. It may seem like it. It may every tangible sense you have tell you you are on your own. So he reaches out in faith and says, you told me I'm not going to be on my own. So, in conclusion, Exodus invites us to experience the drama of God rescuing his people from suffering. We experience as we see Moses' burden on behalf of the people he's supposed to lead. Moses walks through loneliness, confusion, resentment, but he walks towards God and God does not abandon him. He makes clear that he's going to do something. He reassures, he redirects, he reconfirms his power and his presence. And this sort of drama is still being carried out in the life of the Christian today. Following Jesus and serving him brings struggle. It brings burdens, isolation. It's, it's in some way, it's the mark of a Christian to, to suffer and to struggle. So what, what is our commitment to Christ? Uh, how does it bring hardship and alienation? Are, are we honest about that and that resentment we may feel for it? Some of you are experiencing hard things now. Things that you wouldn't be experiencing or dealing with if you, if, if you weren't a Christian. You, you wouldn't be doing it. 
Are you would be doing something different than you're doing? Being a Christian is strange. It is strange. It it's it's strange to uh, have relationships with non-Christians. It makes us feel strange sometimes. Have relationships with Christians can even make us feel stranger. Um, so some of you are weird. I'd be weird. Hard experiences prompt us, though. They prompt us to reflect on our commitment to Jesus, to align our convictions with what he cares about. But also to walk in faith that God is indeed with us. Jesus walked on the earth. The presence of God was on the earth. And then he left his spirit as a comforter to never leave or forsake or abandon like orphans. So the struggle also promises to have faith in that God is with us, that every step we take is closer to this new heaven and new earth, but also to acknowledge that road goes through hard things. And God brings redemption through the hard things in our life. Let me pray. I'm going to read a passage from Isaiah as the prayer. Lord, strengthen our weak hands. Make firm our feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong. Fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance and with the recompense of God. He will come and He will save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning hot sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals, Where they lie down, may the grass become reeds and rushes. Amen.